This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. And I really like uh, Christopher Nolan's writing, particularly that uh, right there I think was um, important for most particular believers to understand that as a Christian, now we are created in God's image. Now man overall ultimately is created in God's image. That, that's why we're to treat everyone with respect regardless because they're created in God's image. And honestly, most people don't get it, but, but that's why we're not allowed to create idols because God already has an idol and that's, that's us. Like the word idol and image are the exact same word. They're synonymous. It's, it's the same word. So when we create an image for God, we're actually like distorting the idol he's already created to represent himself. That's, that's other, other people, that's humanity. But, but there is something that happened in humanity at the fall. that We've become corrupted. And to me, that's why that video was really important. Because there was this scene in the movie where Joker has set up the scenario that two different boats were full of people. One boat was full of convicts, the other was regular citizens. And he said at a certain time, the, they would have to, what, pull the trigger. And if they didn't pull the trigger, the both boats would blow up. So whoever pulled the trigger first would save themselves and the other boat would blow up. So the common person would think, well, okay, the criminals should blow themselves up first or the people who are good should blow up the criminals. But that's what the scene where at the very end where Batman was having the conversation with the Joker and the man actually didn't blow up the boat because he was saying, I don't have it in me. I'm not that type of person. I'm not like the Joker. I'm not created in Joker's image. He and his sins were created in Batman's image. And that was kind of like the parallel there. That, that the challenge was, Batman was saying, the people of Gotham aren't like you. Like, you're by yourself in this. And that, that's kind of like what's happening with humanity today. That the believer is created in Christ's image. And because of that, we don't respond to life the way Satan does. 
And most people don't get the parallel. Now, this is, oh, when I was doing the research, I thought I was so excited because I said, Revelation, this is so cool. But let's think about this. From the very, very beginning, let's go here because this, this is represented the beginning of the Bible. That's why I'm way on this side. So at the beginning of the Bible, they were in, Adam and Eve were in the garden. And they were kicked out of the garden. That, that being kicked out meant they were exiled. Right? They were, they were kicked out of the garden. So now they're exiled. And so from that time forward, God had planned to redeem humanity. But, but what, what's interesting is that exile was pointing to something else. Because remember, Israel was given the Ten Commandments and they didn't keep them. And what happened to them? They were exiled. Now, now, if Israel was the point, we'd be like, oh, I get it. But understand, the church, the called out people is the ultimate point. All of these things are pointing to us. The Bible says the Old Testament was written for us, for our learning. And what we have to understand is we are all exiled. We're all in Babylon. We are in a foreign world. We are living in Babylon today. That's the system that is contrasted. Babylon is always contrasted with Israel throughout the entire Bible. And so when you see something like an exile happen, it's trying to tell the world, look, this is how you live after you are exiled. Now, this is what I really like. We all know that, Pastor Baz, but think about this. There was somebody exiled before all of this happened. Do you remember who the first exile was? Thank you. Satan was exiled. Satan, who had iniquity within himself, who said, I'd be like God, was kicked out of heaven. And now this is the parallel. This is the awesome part. How did Satan respond after he was exiled? He's been running amok. He's been destroying. He's been acting a fool. Right? So when, so when things didn't go his way, when he was rebuked, he didn't repent. He went faster and further in the same direction. There's a scripture that kept worrying me in the, in the Bible whenever Israel was called to repent. And, and it's in Isaiah. And, and, the, and it says God hated this attitude. He says, oh, we're going to be, this is someone talking about God's judgment. Oh, we're going to be judged? Well, let's eat and drink because tomorrow we, we die. And the Bible says God, he was, hates that attitude. Why? Because it's the opposite of repenting. You're like, judgment is coming, so I'm going to, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and when I was young, they always used to say, okay, what would you do if the world ended tomorrow? And people would say, well, shoot, I'm going to go find, I'm going to go, I'm going to do all this crazy stuff. I'm going to get a car, I'm going to go eat some spaghetti, whatever. Like, I'm going to go crazy. But, but, but the point is, Will you humble yourself, turn, and repent? God has been calling the entire planet to repent. That's just change your mind. Change your mind about God. That's all he's saying. He's saying the way you're doing it is wrong. And instead of repenting, Satan has said, okay. And he's wreaked havoc throughout all of creation because he didn't turn. Now, could he turn? That's a theological question I'm not even going to get into. The Jewish people, 
Think about them. They kept having prophet after prophet say, turn, repent, repent, turn. God is going to judge you for your sins. And they didn't listen. The Bible says they hardened their heart, so God judged them. And today, we're in the same boat. God calls us to repent, to change, to turn. And if we listen, God shows us mercy. But if we don't, then comes judgment. There, there used to be in, in mass media this uh, little uh, picture of these two beings on an uh, individual's shoulder. And, and, and if I remember what it was, it was a... And a, and a, and a now, who's never seen that? Everybody's seen that, right? It used to be everywhere, an angel and a demon. It represents your conscience. And every time you're about to do something wrong, and the, 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 the bad angel would be like, what? Do it, do it, do it. And the good angel would be like, oh, no, no, no. Well, you don't see that as much anymore. Because that's a Christian concept. That's about your conscience. That's not thinking. That was, that was trying to highlight your conscience. That God was trying to tell you, don't do it. That was the good angel. Do it God's way. But now our culture's conscience has been seared. We, can, we now know that our culture has a hard time stopping sinful behavior, so we legalize it now. We say it's okay. Now the word conscience doesn't really even exist in our culture. But this is not how God had intended humanity to be. If we're made in God's image, there is a conscience. You have it. Now we have the Holy Spirit in us. And he tries to get you to do the right thing. Don't watch that. Don't go there. Oh, go home and be with your family. Don't drink that. Don't drink that one. Okay, you're done. Stop. The Holy Spirit is the one trying to tell you to repent, to turn. God gives us hope. Here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to cover one of the most often quoted scriptures of all time. And I know right now you know exactly what it is. If you know what it is, go ahead and say it. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope in the future. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is usually posted on almost every Christian house and around the planet. Because everybody likes it because of what God has a hope for us. But what we're going to see today here is who God was talking for and who that promise was for. And how people taking scripture out of context makes it say something it never intended on saying. And you ask me why is what I preach different than most people? Because most people started chapter, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 and that's all they go to. And I'm going to give you chapter, uh, verses 1 through 14 and give you the context so you see who is being communicated to and why. John Steinbeck, one of the first books I read. Everybody know what's it called? No, he had another book. What's his other book? Thank you. I didn't like the Grapes of Wrath too, but that was a little scary. Mice and Man was a little bit better for me, but anyway. Um, the best laid plans of mice and men do often go astray. Now, that's not Bible, but what it is is sometimes we have a thought of the way a plan, the way things should go. But he's trying to say here, even though we have plans, sometimes it doesn't end up that way. How do you respond to when life doesn't end the way you want it to be? How do you respond when things don't go the way you want them to go? 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 2 reads this. So these are the words. Now, you have got to stick with the words to understand the context. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. So where is Jeremiah at? He's in Jerusalem, and he's sending this letter to Babylon. Jeremiah has written the letter. He's sending it to Babylon, and the year is around 580 B.C. Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's very specific. The specificity is there for a reason. He's showing you historical historical accuracy and credibility. He's trying to gain credibility because something's about to be communicated that you won't just believe. He goes on to say, this was after King Jeconiah. Now understand there were two King Jeconiahs. Both of them reigned 11 years. Both of them rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. So, but the second, this is Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, Jeconiah Jr. This was after Jeconiah Jr. and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the, the artists, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. So now this king is in Babylon. This is happening after this. Jeconiah is gone. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan, and I'm going to somebody help me out with that word right there. And Gomorrah, I'm going to say Gomorrah, <laughs> the son of Hilkah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. All right? So understand this. He's using specificity. Once again, these are the people who took the letter. Now, this is the vassal king who is now in Jerusalem. He's the one, the puppet king of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this guy eventually is going to rebel as well because these people had this misconception that what? You know what? I'm the king now. I'm going to get out. I'm going to be free from this Babylonian yoke. So this guy actually sided with Egypt, and he thought Egypt was going to help him overthrow the Babylonian captivity. So remember, Jerusalem is still around at this point. They haven't been completely wiped out yet, but it's coming. And Jeremiah, the entire time, sometimes seemed like he has schizophrenia because at one time in the book of Jeremiah, he was against Babylon. But then at the end, he was what? For Babylon. Jeremiah was basically saying, look, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. Surrender to him. And people thought he betrayed Israel. But what are we going to surrender to him for? Won't the God of heaven protect us? We're faithful. We're doing everything that God wants. Lie. See, Israel at this time was in complete sin. They were doing everything opposite what God said to do. And they thought just because they went and went to church, even though they were living against God's will, that everything will be okay. That's exactly what was happening. They were living in sin. They still went to church. And God punished them because they would not, what? Repent. All they had to do was repent in turn. All right? So understand this. 
He's sending a letter by these people. They have this king. Jeremiah is preaching, man, just go ahead and surrender. They didn't surrender. Israel eventually gets taken over completely, and now they're all in Babylon captivity. Now, this is the important part. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, he's going to communicate something very specific. Jeremiah's writing this letter to the people who are in Babylon. Now, this is the conversation Nate and I were having earlier today. When you're in Babylon, how do you live? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So this is what you have to understand. The Bible says this world is not our home. It's not. The Bible says in Hebrew, you seek a country. You seek a land. The Bible says, store your treasures up in heaven. We are in Babylon, and our eternal home is coming. But that doesn't mean you just you completely eliminate your interaction with society. You have to be a part of society, but you don't have to be of society. You could be in society, but not of society, Right? So what happened is now, as they were in captivity, there were some people from Jerusalem who just said, you know what, we're going to fight against everything Babylon says. We're going to rebel, we're going to revolt, we're going to fight because God's on our side. And you know what happened to them? They were wiped out completely. Then you had another group of people say, you know what, we're in Babylon. Since we're in Babylon, we're going to do what the Babylons do. Like, when in Rome, you what? When we're in Babylon, we? And you know what? They were wiped out too eventually because Babylon got what? Taken over. But there was a group of people, the Bible calls a remnant, who remained. These were the people who were loyal take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters and mares that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Listen to this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Pray for it. Pray for its leaders. He's not saying rebel, revolt. He's saying seek its good. Because while you're in Babylon, they are protecting you. Because there's other kingdoms out there a lot worse. And God's kingdom isn't here yet. Now, they are to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. Seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is, for the, this is a mandate for every believer all over the planet. If you're in China and happen to be a Christian in China, you're to pray for China's success. If you're in Russia and you have to be a Christian in Russia, you're to pray for the Russian success. And I go on and on. For us, we're here in America. Our responsibility, our obligation is to pray for his success. Understand, there's only one nation that has a promise that will last for eternity, and that's Israel. No other nation has that promise. God is coming back to restore order through the entire universe. 
but his kingdom is coming slowly. So you have to understand, they have to live in such a way that they honor God, even though they're in a foreign country. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams they are dreaming. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. What is he saying? There are people there who are saying, it's going to be okay. God ain't going to punish us. We're going to be okay. And then then there were prophets who were in Babylon. They were saying, we're going to go home soon. God's going to come and he's going to save us. So so just don't even get a house. Don't even get married because we're about to be out of here, you all. For it's a lie. I did not send them. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's how many years? Seventy years are complete. Will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, understand this. At this point, they have to mark out 70 years in the future, right? They're going to come home in how many years? 70 years. Now, many of these people at this day and age, they were 30, 40, and 50 years old. So he's telling them, you're going to be gone for 70 years. Now, you know what that means? Some of them aren't going to what? They're not going to make it home. They're not going to make it home. Not in this life. They're in exile. How do they respond to God's word? At this moment is where the crux, I think, of everyone's life is. This is the valley of decision. Do you trust what God says and live his way, knowing that you may not make it home, that you probably won't make it home? Or you just try to go for yours? Because eat, drink, tomorrow we die. They had a challenge. Is he not the God of all creation? Why is he just fixing it in one second? Because he has a plan. He's working out. You got to trust him for his plan. For thus saith the Lord, only when Babylon's kept it hold. For thus saith the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed, will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, this is the part. This is a conditional. This is not a conditional cause and effect, but it is a cause and effect. Because only when, focus on the when. And now, the scripture everybody knows in the Bible For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope in the future. A future and a hope. Wait a minute. Who's he talking to? (laughs) Wait a minute. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to their kids. The adults ain't going to make it. 70 years are going to be gone. People didn't live long that that day and time. He's saying... Your kids are the ones who have this hope in the future. Because what's going to happen is Babylon will purify them. They're going to be free of their idolatry. They're going to see the consequence of living outside of God's will. And they're going to change. This prophecy was for a very specific group of people. The children of those who were sent into exile. Now, it was up to the parents, their responsibility to still stay faithful to God despite not being able to see the promise in this lifetime. 
Because how they live before their kids would affect their kids' attitude about God. Twelve, once you come back, says, when these seven years are completed, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Something happened in captivity that changed the hearts of the kids. They realized that doing it God's way is the best, even though they don't think, they don't think it looks the best. They might not agree with everything, but they realized over the 70 years that God's way is the best. It says, for I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring, back, bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Understand that God's going to bring them back. Only after this time of refining, only after this time of purification. What does it have to do with us, Pastor? Everything. That we find ourselves now in Babylonian captivity, period. That's what the Bible has been screaming from the very beginning until now. The Bible is written for the called out people, the ecclesia, the church. I don't think church is just the building. It never was just the building. Church are a group of people called out to God, separated for a cause. And God wants our life to shine. Now, who is the best example of how to live in Babylon? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you say, why? Because they lived in loyalty and subversion. They prayed for the best, but they did not fall. They did not compromise. But now their stance cost them. Remember, they were thrown into a what? A furnace and a lion's den. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be thrown in lion's dens. I haven't seen any of those around, but the Minnesota Zoo, does they have, do they have lion's cages? I, they may, I don't know. I'm just trying to say that there is a time you have to take a stand for your faith. But if you're not living a life that lines up with the stand, you'll fall completely. Got a couple points, we're done for the day. It's God's desire to bring us home once we've matured. God is maturing you. Everything you go through. Some people think, oh, this is such a coincidence. This is so, oh, this test is just designed for me to, to do this, to compromise here. To, don't you understand? Those are tests. God is refining your character. And we get put in test after test until we realize, wait a minute, God is trying to mature us. That's when we get put in the same wash cycle over and over. Anybody got a dishwasher machine? And, and I'm the lazy dishwasher person. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Because my parents had a real good dishwasher, right? You put the dish in, no matter how dirty the dishes were, it got clean. Now we don't have that good dishwasher, right? So I put the dishes in there and it's still dirty. So you know what I do? I don't clean it up. I don't try to scrape it because nothing's caked on there, right? No, I just put it back in there. Put <laughs> it wash it again. And that thing's still in there. Don't you understand? Some of you are going through the same cycle. And figure out, you don't realize, wait a minute, this is, this is more than a coincidence that God's trying to work something in my character. Being in exile would not hinder God's faithful from maturing. I should have said faithful ones. I remember I had gone through a lot in my life. I had lost a child, and I was in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and I was talking to somebody, 
And I couldn't explain it, but Bosnia-Herzegovina at the time had just been massacred by Slobodan Milosevic, and they had, like, brutalized all the Muslims, right? The Christians did this there. And I was just trying, I was, like, giving a little pity party, and they were looking at me like, there's a brother, and they said, brother, listen, there are people who, who have gone through the exact same thing as you, and they'll be in heaven. And there will be people who, who have gone through the exact same thing as you, and who will be in hell. How will you respond? Point. Seeking God's heart and surrendering to it is the path to maturity. It is not an accident what is happening in your life. God has you on a growth development plan. You, some of you, <laughs> you have jobs. You're like, boss, man, I want to develop in this area. I need training here, right, like to get better. Like you're being trained for something great. Now that greatness may not all take place here on this life, but it's going to take place in eternity. God is raising up a kingdom of priests. The Bible also, another translation is kingly priest. You are being matured to rule and reign with Christ for eternity. This life is just your practice field. This life is just trying to say, are you worthy to handle these group of people? And if you have these issues, these character flaws, and the Bible says if you're faithful with what? Little, you're going to be given. If you're faithful with little, you can be given much. Like, if you're unfaithful with little, you'll be given nothing. Like, your, your response to life is going to determine what you can handle for eternity. Are you faithful with what little God has given you? God's desires for you are only realized after you've given him all you have. And to me, that's when the fight starts. God, I'm trying to get this area of my life together, and I'm trying to, uh, you can have all these areas, God, but not this one right here. And that's not how God works. Either he's Lord of all, he's Lord of none. And that takes trust. God, I can trust you with, with this, but not my kids. I could trust you with my wife, but not my job. I could trust you with all of it, not Netflix. I miss Netflix. <laughs> oh, I miss it. But it's the Lord's. I miss coffee. I do. It's God's. I miss my kids who will be here next week, by the way. But I trust God for them. There's not one area God won't ask you for. And then ask, he may ask you for more. That's how he is. You're like, Lord, I gave you everything, but give me some more. He's like, no. He wants it all. Remember, God wants you to trust him completely. Remember, God has your very best interest in mind. When God says turn, when God says judgment, he doesn't want to judge you. He's trying to show you mercy. He's trying to show you grace. But if you just say, oh, I'm going to keep on going and it'll be okay, understand there are consequences there. God removes himself. He stops protecting you, and that's the consequence. So today I'm just trying to say if you're wrestling with whether to trust God or how much to trust God, put all that to bed. Give him your very best. I'm not a quote, quote, prosperity pastor per se, but I believe God prospered those who are faithful. That's what the Bible says. He will bless you. 
But when God blesses you, it's for you to be a blessing to other people. And they're looking at you in Babylon, and they're trying to say, how are they prospering in Babylon? Oh, they're acting like the Babylonians. They're conniving. They're cheating. They're stealing. They're just like, and they realize, wait a minute, they're not doing that. Like, what's wrong with them? Like, why are they prospering, but they're not taking shortcuts? Well, let me go talk to them and, and get to know them a little bit better. And then conversing with you, hopefully they realize that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And you have a sure promise from God that if you stay faithful, he'll keep you, he'll protect you, he'll watch over you, he'll take care of you and your family and friends, and he has an ultimate hope and a plan for your future. And no, you may not see it all in this lifetime, but you will see it in his time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this church. We ask you this morning, Lord God, to give us the encouragement and the strength we need to stay faithful despite our feelings, despite our conscience, or lack thereof. Help us, Lord God, to be renewed in our heart so we become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, just head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Now you're